Hello, it is Monday, April 26th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. Gonna finish up discussing uh, UFC 261 and maybe some other things, but mostly still focused on UFC 261. What happened? This is mostly after the fight, so it's some things that are still related to what went on, but not exactly 100% what went on in the cage. So I want to start off with Dana White. And I think it was the day before uh, he posted something on Instagram taking uh, exception to how the Las Vegas Review Journal handled the event or the day before the event, their coverage. And the story was focused on the disclaimer on the back of the ticket. And it's not anything that, that hasn't, hadn't been covered before. White seemed to take exception, especially because it came from the quote-unquote hometown paper of the UFC. And he went off on some tangent that this isn't how it should be covered. Um, they, the UFC didn't lay anybody off during the pandemic and hometown paper and blah, blah, blah. More or less scolding the paper for covering the fact that the UFC was putting on an event in Jacksonville without any kind of COVID-19 protocols. That was the the lead of the story, more or less, was, hey, 15,000 people are going into this arena with no um, no medical protocol, and the UFC was okay with that because their ass is covered by the disclaimer on the back of the ticket, which says more or less that if you get sick and or die from this, tough shit. And I don't know why that was such a, a big deal with White because... None of it was untrue. The Las Vegas River Review Journal printed the facts. White is, I'm going to say, had to be well aware of it because that was what the UFC had printed on the tickets. And if you didn't want anybody to know that, well, maybe you should have some safety protocols in place. But they didn't. And so White took exception to the reporting, blasted the Las Vegas River Review Journal, made sure in the screenshot that he printed, that he posted on uh, Instagram to get the writer's name in that screenshot. Adam Hill garnered oh, right now 156,000 likes on the story on Instagram, and then on Saturday night after the event, he pointed out that he, you know, didn't name Adam Hill when he went off on the Review Journal, and that. He was aware that the sometimes editors write headlines and sensationalize things. But I think the first four or five paragraphs of that story were just facts related to the UFC's lack of COVID-19 protocol. And so White can, can twist what he did in that Instagram story any way he wants. But he made sure that in that story that Hill was named that his name was prominent in the picture and that every anyone who's going to associate that story and Dana White going off on the journal with Adam Hill. There's no way that that was a mistake. I think White wants to have it both ways here. He wants to continue to have a decent relationship with Hill, but then be able to smear the review journal. And I don't know what kind of thinking White is doing here, uh, our mental gymnastics, but... 
the man wrote the story. His name is attached to the story. If you smear the man, the story, you smear the man who wrote the story. You don't get to have that both ways. You don't. White knows this. White knows this because he's the face of the UFC. So he knows that if someone smears the UFC or smears him, that's all tangled up together. He knows that. He knows bad press for him is bad press for the UFC. Bad press for the UFC is bad press for Dana White. You shit on Adam Hill, the story he wrote for the journal, that doesn't matter. You're still shitting on Adam Hill, even if you say it's not him. So White wants to have it both ways. He doesn't get it both ways. He doesn't get to apologize the next day or a couple days later at a UFC press conference at 1 a.m., and think that that's good. And I tweeted about this, and I equated what White did with, say, the New York Times prints a story, front page headline, 1A, above the fold, and it's and there's a an error in the headline or an error in the lead. And then they print the retraction, or the or, or they fix it in, on page, say, 34, at the bottom beneath an underwear ad. Well, no one's going to see that. And that's exactly what White did. He put it out of there on the headlines. 156,000 people liked it. And then he made the retraction the next day at 1.15 a.m., which no one's going to see or care about. If he wants to own up to this and make it a little clearer, how about printing the apology or the retraction on his Instagram and on his social media? How about that? That's not going to happen. White knows what he's doing here. Um, he can say what he wants, like I said, but he shit on Adam Hill. Can't can't take that back. Can't take that back. Can't spin it. And to be honest, the story was just facts. It was no opinion. It was facts. So, I mean, come on now, Dana White. You know what you did. You know what you're doing. And you know that... Everyone that saw it on Instagram is not going to hear your uh, lousy apology. Just not going to happen. So, nice try. Easy to see through. And that's enough on that. I really don't know what da Daniel Cormier is doing here. Uh, if, it's, if he's working this to get attention. If he really wants to fight Jake Paul. If he's really mad. I don't know. I know Cormier is a big wrestling fan, so I don't know if this is legit. Might be, might not be. Either way, it looks it looks pathetic. I don't know how old Jake Paul is. Cormier is in his forties, so I, I'm I'm gonna assume Cormier is at an age or near an age where he could be Jake Paul's father, just in in age, and so it looks like a dad trying to fight some smart aleck kid on on that's just trolling because that's what it is jake paul is just trolling this and he's working it magnificently and i don't know if cormier is you know counter trolling but he's not working it magnificently he's working it poorly because he's feeding jake paul's fire he's feeding into it now if, even if he's feeding it into it in, in like a pro wrestling kind of way, it still looks terrible because you're giving attention to some smart ass who just wants the attention. This is all good for Jake Paul. 
it's all good for Jake Paul. It raises his his social media. It raises his profile. It's all good. And all he has to do is turn around and say, look at this old man trying to fight me. What's up with that? And I know Paul picked the fight in the first place. But no one's going to remember that. In, in this kind of little world that Jake Paul's operating, they only remember the last thing that happened. And the last thing that happened is as Daniel Cormier lost his damn mind, or it looks like he lost his mind uh, because of Jake Paul. It's it's childish. It feeds fires of something that's never going to happen. These guys aren't going to fight in MMA. They're not going to box. And all it does is give Jake Paul more attention. More attention, which is what he wants. And again, this is, remember, Dana White said that he was going to like sue these guys because they need to stop picking fights with UFC fighters. Well, maybe he needs to stop, sit down with his UFC fighters and his UFC employees and tell them to stop, stop giving this guy air. That's all he wants. All he wants is attention. If you don't give him attention, he goes away and moves on to something else that'll give him attention. It's easy to see. They're not going to fight. No one cares about it that much. But Paul cares about the attention. Keeps his name in the headlines, in the MMA headlines. Feeds that buyer. And now you want to see, well not me because I, I couldn't care less. But many people are going to want to see Jake Paul get crushed. So they're going to buy the next pay-per-view. You're getting worked. And you're, you're willingly getting worked. It's sad. Kind of funny. I'm going to give Jake Paul 100% credit for what he's doing. He's doing a masterful job at playing everybody. And it's going to make him money. So good for him. But I mean, it's not hard to see what he's doing. So just don't pay attention. Don't pay attention. He'll slither away. And he'll find somebody else to bother. It's, it's pretty simple. Um... So the question I'm going to try and answer here is, where does Jorge Masvidal go now that he's lost to Kamara Usman twice, once by unanimous decision, and on Saturday lost by a pretty brutal knockout, uh, knocked out cold. And I really don't know. Um, and I'm just going to talk about Jorge Masvidal, the fighter here, because um, when he took off, took that break, and came back, he was a different person, a different fighter. He looked different. He spoke, he didn't speak different, but he spoke in a different um, way. He was more open with the media and he kind of changed a little bit from when he, from before to when he came back from that break. And was it for the better? 1000% for the better. Because when he came back and started knocking people out, people paid attention to Jorge Masvidal. And not to hardcores. Hardcore fans knew Jorge Masvidal was a great fighter. Just not, but he had that mark on him where he, whatever the reason, he just kind of was the guy who lost split decisions. And he fought well, he fought you know, you knew you were going to get a fun fight when Jorge Masvidal was in there, but you didn't know if he was going to win. And that, and then whatever, whatever changed that worked worked very well. And so he built up all that goodwill. He started getting big fights. He won BMF. 
and title fight. And now that he's uh, lost to Usman, where does he go? And I really don't know. He's not going to fight for the title again. If to bring something else up just outside of the fighting for a minute, he's lost a lot of the goodwill he had during that run uh, just because of the way he's handled things politically and personally. I think that hurt him. I think that he can get some of that fan goodwill back. And he still has plenty. Uh, and I think he's still a very marketable fighter, but he's not going to fight for a title. I don't think he should be someone who tries to work his way back up because that's not where the money is. He's a very marketable fighter in certain in certain markets, and, and Florida is definitely one of them. So if the UFC is going to stay in Florida during the pandemic here, which is still going on, and maybe Masvidal gets some, some headlining fights there. But, I mean, do you, you, I think you book him in the fun, he falls now into the fun fight guy, the, the guy that fights for big money near the top of the card, maybe underneath a softer headliner or a uh, ESPN headliner, and he makes his money that way. Maybe he fights another veteran, maybe he fights, uh, I, would, I would think that Diaz fight is still a very marketable fight because... You know, you, you team up Diaz and Masvidal together in a in a BMF title fight, even though the BMF title's lost a bit of its shine by now. That's a very marketable fight. Very marketable. And it's one that Masvidal thinks he can win, and it's one that Diaz will think he can win, and so I don't think that'll be a problem to make that fight. But outside of that, I don't know. I, I, really, I really don't know the, where the fun fights will be for Jorge Masvidal, the big money fights. That won't be for titles. So, I mean, Diaz is going to be that number one, I think. And, you know, there's the Leon Edwards beef. Is that a marketable fight? Yeah, I think that's still marketable. Does Masvidal take it? Maybe. If the money's right, sure. But I think at this point in their careers, Edwards wins that fight. And Edwards is favored in that fight. So, strategically, I don't know. I don't know what Masvidal does. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Andrade, I, I think if I'm her and the weight cutting is not awful, I drop down back to, I drop back down to 115 and I say I'm coming for Rosanama Yunus because I knocked her out once and things were going my way in the, in the second fight. So five rounds, you know, five rounds I can beat I can beat Rosen Amunis. So maybe Andrade drops, fights once, and then gets another title shot. That's what I'm doing if I'm Jessica Andrade. I'm not staying at 125 because that fight, the title fight there was not even close. And I don't think a rematch in that is going to change. And I also think that the road back to a title fight at 125 for her is going to be rockier just because it's, a, a, you know, they're bigger fighters in that, in that weight division. So if she can make 115 without too much stress, I think that's the way for her to go. Um, if the weight cut's terrible, then I would 100% say stay at 125. Maybe bounce around 125, 135, gets, get paid um, and go from there. But uh, if if 115 is not a problem, 
drop down there, get that title shot again, and maybe be the second strawweight fighter or women's fighter to regain a title because it's, you know, entirely possible that she could do that. Um, I think that's all I have for the for today. Again, wrap up on UFC 261. Uh, obviously, there was a lot to talk about from the event that I had it covered on two uh, episodes here. And the, and the first one was over 40 minutes, which I never try and do, but it was just so much to talk about at the fights. Um, really good card. Really good card. Um, three title fights, all well worth uh, tuning in for. And... I can't say anything bad about UFC 261 as a fight card. It was it delivered. It delivered from top to bottom. Excellent fight card. Um, and hopefully more to come because it was enjoyable. And on that note, we'll see if I, I might be back tomorrow if, if some more stuff pops off here. If not, next day for sure. And until then, everyone stay safe.